Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I have with me today Neil Thorne, part of our team. And today we're going to be talking about the upcoming testing of the Starship Super Heavy Vehicle and the orbital flight test that could be coming in the next month or two. How are you doing, Neil? Good. How are you doing, Will? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. Awesome. So we have some some really exciting things happening down at Starbase, Texas with the the Starship Super Heavy Vehicle. There's ongoing testing. Ship's been stacked on top of Booster 7 recently. Oh, I love that video. Did you see that drone video of that SpaceX put out of that? Yeah. I cried. I cried a little bit. That was amazing. Yeah, it was insane. I'm so the the cool thing is Elon has been tweeting about you know the Starship's going to launch soon. Starship launch next couple months. Over the last like four or five months, he's been saying those things, and he's also said it last year. Um, but now SpaceX actually tweeted something and said, "Hey, we're getting ready for this launch," and that's a pretty good indicator that SpaceX's Twitter account, you know, they said that. And I mean, I mean, are you suggesting even for a moment that Elon might exaggerate timelines? I would never. I would never say that. <laughs> Elon, the <laughs> I think he's very optimistic with his predictions. But as an engineer, I can see where he would think that things were moving fast and that things aren't going to go wrong. And if everything goes well, you know, things are just going to move straight forward and things are going to fly like the Starship is going to fly. So now that we have sort of confirmation, I guess, from SpaceX that that's going to happen, maybe late February, March-ish, according to SpaceX's, you know, a tweet, which they said they have to do a 33-engine static fire, and they also have to do some more cryo-testing and tank testing and things like that. So we'll see what happens. You know, in my research, just to what we're going to talk about on this show and and how it's going to go, it was amazing all the different things that are going to have to happen before this thing can launch. It's it's quite a complex process. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. And yeah. The thing that's the thing that's really important that Elon has mentioned in the past is the the orbital launch mount and how important that is to the whole thing. Like the stage zero. Stage zero. Yeah. yeah. If anything happens to that thing. So they're they're going very cautiously and um they're they're working hard to get everything in place with the you know, the, the testing schedule that they have right now. So I think overall we need to Everybody needs to remember that this is just a test vehicle, right? It's a test vehicle as much as the launch mount is. Everything. It's never launched anything before. Yeah, everything is a test right now. Mm -hmm. And if anything goes wrong, hey, it's part of the testing, you know, and they expect things to go wrong. You know, there's been numerous times that Elon has said, it's going to be cool if it leaves, you know, leaves the pad and actually clears the tower. And if. Yeah, it's the most dangerous part of this whole thing. Yep. And not only from just the engineering of, of how in the physics of getting this rocket out, this, you know, beyond the tower's range, getting it off the ground to begin with is the hardest part. But also if anything does go wrong, it'll destroy that tower and set them back months and months. Yeah. And you know, the FAA is part of that whole process too, because they'll have to report everything to the FAA, even though it is a test vehicle and the FAA is aware of that. Dex will have to make sure that the FAA is aware of what happens and why this ship, you know, run it on the pad. But let's, you want to talk about what's going on like at Starbase right now before we get into the actual launch itself? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's go over what's happening. I think the ultimate goal is to not run on the launch pad. So we'll talk about what they're doing to prevent that. Yeah, that's the So right now we've got stacked Starship. We've got the four on top of Booster 7 sitting on the launch mount. What's next? Well, they're doing cryo tests today. There's been numerous tests starting today, and there were some yesterday. There were some very, very small initial tests yesterday, which only lasted a, a yeah, few hours. Yeah, it seemed hours. like yesterday might have been the, the ground ground level stuff that they were testing. Yep, the ground systems. Just making sure, yeah, ground systems, making sure all the valves and 
all the cryo stuff was working on the ground before they started working on the ship. Yep. And today they're, they're filling the thing up. They're filling up. It looks like they're filling up the booster, booster seven. I haven't seen any condensation on the ship quite yet today. So it looks like they're testing the internals of the booster and filling it up and doing some cryo yeah. tests with that. So yeah, pretty exciting. Might, most likely using liquid nitrogen as opposed to methane to just to test things out. Yep. Get it cold, get it right cold. Yep, exactly. And moving on from here, I mean, they're going to have to do, they might even do numerous cry, like different cryo tests every single day. This show is brought to you by Backblaze. I use Backblaze to back up my podcast, my video files, all of my writing stuff and all my photos. And you get unlimited computer backup from Macs and PCs for just $7 a month. You can back up your own documents, photos, videos, drawings, projects, all of your data and access your backed up data from anywhere in the world using the web app. And you can access the files on your mobile too. iOS, Android apps, all covered. And this is the cool part. This is my favorite part. You can restore it by mail. A hard drive will come to your house with all your data shipped to your door. It could come to your business too. And you can restore return refund program. So you can buy a hard drive restore, send the hard drive back within 30 days and get a full refund. So basically they ship you this hard drive and then you ship it back and you don't ever pay for it, which is the perfect program for somebody who has huge files and you don't want to waste days and days downloading terabytes and teraflops of data. And if you're worried about accidentally deleting your files, two bucks extra a month, you can increase your retention history to one year. And I use it for all of my video files. It comes in super handy. So $7 plus $2, $9 a month, and you get everything backed up. Ease of mind for up to a year. And if you use the URL backblaze.com slash Elon, you get a fully featured 15 day, no credit card required free trial. Check it out. Play with it. Start protecting yourself from potential bad times. Back your stuff up. It's recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9 to 5 Mac, and more. And it's recently been listed on the NASDAQ Stock Exchange under BLZE, so you know they're legit. Backblaze is committed more than ever to bringing easy and affordable data storage that you can trust. Don't be that person that forgot to back up their important files. We've got your back. Sign up for a free 15-day trial. No credit card required. Go there, sign up, play with it. It's really powerful and it's really easy to use. So go to backplays.com slash Elon. Backplays.com slash Elon. Backplays.com slash Elon. So they have road closures for the next, what is it, week or so? down there. So it shows that they're going to be testing between like 8 a.m. and 8 or p.m. Yeah, 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. A whole 12 hour test schedule. So they could possibly do numerous tests in a day, but we're not going to see a static fire anytime soon. Not at all. No. And as, as far as I'm aware, I think they're done with static firing S24. I think they're, they've, they've finished with that unless they prove me wrong, of course. But it, it seems to me that this next month, month and a half, two months, is all sort of my guess is that they're doing a lot more recording of the tests and 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 documenting of the tests so that they can formally submit something to the FAA to get this thing off the the ground sort of going through a process more than just going through tests. Yeah, I believe so too. And you know, ship 24 like you said was it's been tested since what, July, June, June or July of this something year like that. Yeah. So Yeah, and and S24 before that, like it's I think they've they've done so many cryos on these vehicles that there's really no point in doing them except to make sure that they've got everything documented and they've got all their T's crossed and their I's dotted. Yeah, and after the the booster seven static fires, they've done a few different static fires with booster seven, so they have to make sure that the mm -hmm. internals still work before they, you know, have a stack of ship twenty four on top of it. And also, you know, they gotta make sure that those things work. So when they actually do a, a full wet dress rehearsal, and then they move on to the static fire, and they'll have to do a wet dress, a full wet dress rehearsal before the static fire to make sure everything works Absolutely. in the ship and the booster. And so, I think I don't know. I the timeline here is kind of it's it's kind of rolling, right? So we don't know exactly what they're testing right now. We know they're doing cryo testing. They're going to be testing the internals. Yeah, we can physically see what's being tested by the fact that something's getting frosty or not frosty or, you know, it's foggy here or not foggy there. But 
there's a, probably a lot more going on behind the scenes that we have no idea. Yeah, there's a lot of data collection going on yeah. at Starbase headquarters and at SpaceX headquarters and Hawthorne and a lot of data data analyst uh, kind of processes going on right now. And once all that happens, like once the cryo stuff seems okay, like once those once all those tests are done, they're going to do the full wet dress rehearsal, basically getting the ship and the booster ready for flight and then just not hitting the button to go. Like that's what it seems like, right? Like that seems like the next possible yeah. stage. That's right. Yeah. Once they've done all the cryos, I mean, wet dress is next. You might as well make sure everything's running. The engine's prime up and start spinning and and then cancel at the last second before you hit the, the fire button. <laughs> right. And that's the important part, right? <laughs> yeah. Don't launch this sure. thing. They'll have it clamped Don't down. Don't launch it just yet. Yeah. They'll have it clamped down. <laughs> yeah. And they have it clamped down for sure. And that's what they were testing, I guess, last week or the week before. They had the, a huge amount of weight on those clamps to uh, to test that, the weight that they, or the, the forces that they may encounter during a static fire and actually the firing of the, uh, the rocket. So just testing to make sure that those are strong enough to withstand 33 engines doing a static fire. Yeah. And so I'm, we'll get into this a little bit later, but that's the 33 engine static fire is going to be impressive, but first they have to remove the ship from the booster, right? They have to take the ship well, off. I had, I had thoughts about that. I mean, they probably will. They probably will remove S24 from the top, but I wonder whether they leave it in place to see what, what happens? What kind of vibrations they can feel, and how does that? How does the, the the connection point, the fueling point, all that stuff? How does that actually interact with the vibrations that are coming from below? I wonder if they leave it on top for a static fire. Maybe maybe not thirty three engines, but perhaps some. That'd be a that'd be a because they haven't done that, yeah. right? And they haven't actually seen. I'm sure they've they've monitored the vibrations that are happening throughout the booster, but they haven't done it with a ship on top. Yeah, that's true. You know, they could um, do. And, and if I were putting something in the orbit, I'd certainly want to know how it's going to react before you do that. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. So, what there's a few different theories here. Is one is they they leave it on for a few engines, a few engines static fire, maybe like a ten or fifteen engine static fire, and you know, just t like you said, the vibrations, make sure everything stays in place. <laughs> ten or ten or fifteen, like they've ever done more than eleven. Yeah, like no big deal. <laughs> no, no big deal. Just no big fifteen, deal. twenty. Who just, knows? Just throw it away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, just whatever, whatever number they feel like. But they have thirty-three yeah. engines, so they have to kind of get a, a feel of what it's going to be like to for test. Sure a ton of engines, you know, like the 33 engines is going to be an insane, insane sight to see. So in here and here, yeah, that's going to be another thing. It's going to be loud and it's going to be possibly destructive to the, to the pad, but we'll also talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. I mean, they've certainly tried to try to reinforce the pad. I think we saw a, a video or, or a photo yesterday about SpaceX looks like they're testing concrete at the, <laughs> yeah, Raptor testing engine blocks. Just to see what kind of concrete might be able to withstand these forces better. So yeah, they're certainly certainly anticipating some damage to the the tower. Well, every static fire before this from from the booster, there's been some sort of damage to the to the pad to the concrete. Yeah, and we'll see new things added, new shields added to the the, the legs and different things. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's, it's going to be an interesting thing to see. Oh, uh, it's going to be wild. Nobody's, nobody's ever shot a rocket this powerful up. Yeah. So 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 the when you were saying the static fire of the ship, you know, ship twenty four on top of the booster. So going back to the theories that are out there right now, there's one where they'll do ten to fifteen engine static fire with the ship on top. But also, if they do that, they may remove the ship and move it to the side remove the the lift points on the ship and then fill those in with thermal protection which right you know which is probably one of the things that they're going to do anyway you know so everything yeah so the lift points being where they would lift the the ship with a crane as opposed to using the chopsticks right right and yeah. then they put it back on top and then they would do an actual 33 static fire 33 engine static fire with it on top and that may be an faa ruling you know, they may have requirement. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They may have to do well be. full static fire because they do that with every other ship, you know, Falcon heavy. They do it. They do it with Falcon nine. They do it with 
every other rocket out there. They do a quick static fire. It doesn't have to be long. Yep. It, it just like uh, just like Falcon boosters landing on ships. This will all seem second, you know, old hat, and, and before you know it, they'll they'll have a booster a rocket on top of a booster. They'll sh- they'll fire up thirty three engines, and the next day off they go. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be quite exciting. Yeah, the next 10 years of space flight are going to be absolutely wild. Did you see that they did the Falcon Heavy static fire the other day too? For the, for the no, I missed that. Yeah, they have a, a Department of Defense mission coming up, but that was a that's kind of an indicator because that has, uh, you know, Falcon few Falcon 9s attached to it. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, that's 27, 27 yeah. right there. And they have to static mm-hmm. fire all those. So 33... Even though they are the most powerful engines in the world, you know, they more than likely have to static fire everything with everything attached to it. So yeah, I'm assuming that's what's going to happen. I mean, we think of these things as two different pieces, the, the booster and the ship. But if you look at a Falcon 9, they're attached already, right? Yep. They, they come pre-attached, the top being pre-static pre fired somewhere else, and then they attach it like it. It's really one rocket. We have to start thinking of it as a starship as opposed to a booster and a ship. You know, that's how they're going to come. Yep. It's, they may be in different pieces, but it's all one ship. Yeah. And the manufacturing process is a little bit different. You know, the uh, they mate the fairing of a Falcon 9 differently than they do with the starship. The starship has the, the chopsticks mm-hmm. and the Falcon 9, they, you know, it's a different process. So, but at the end, like you said, full rocket when you're done when you're ready to launch the thing it's not two pieces it's one big thing until of course you get to the place where you do separate them on the way up yeah which happens with every other rocket out there as well exactly so single stage to orbit does not work very well yeah so everybody has two stages at least yep exactly so the i mean the will they leave will they leave this ship on top probably that's what we're guessing, right? I think that's where, where I would, we're at. I would think that certainly for certainly for one of the static fires of the booster, they'll leave the ship on top. Yeah, that's my guess. Maybe for the first thirty-three engine static fire, they'll take it off because they haven't done that with the booster yet. And then maybe it goes back on and they do another. I'm not sure. Yeah, and the the thirty-three engine static fire of the booster could possibly be you know one of the, one of the the pieces of this whole thing that sets them back a little bit. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with a full 33 engine static fire? And they're going to have to go through all the data, make sure everything works right. If everything works absolutely perfect, they'll make the ship back on top and then do possibly, you know, they may do another wet dress rehearsal and another cryo after that just to make sure everything works. But, and then just get it ready for flight, you know, get, do another static fire yeah, possibly. I, I think it's important to note that you and I and, all other space enthusiasts are in a hurry, but star star SpaceX is not in a hurry. No, they um, they don't. Certainly, certainly they want to get us up in the air as soon as they can. But if something makes them stop and pause and start over, then they're going to do that. If there's too much at stake to be rushing this. Yeah, and even though we love to see these giant tests happening, you know, this the whole test schedule is amazing. And it's just cool. Mm-hmm. I can stare at a rocket. Like I can just stare at a rocket and watch it frost over for hours. I have a second monitor <laughs> and I have one of my windows open over there and I have it queued into two different YouTube channels that have live footage of the Starship test facility. And I watch it all day and it's literally just a rocket that's getting frosty or like, you know, a semi truck rolls down the highway with some propellant in it and I get excited. So yeah, for sure. Like, I was, I was when they were doing some work with cranes back in the day, maybe building the tower, the launch tower. Um, I stopped and thought to myself, "This is just a crane lifting a piece of metal." Yeah. What am I? <laughs> why am I watching this? <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's exciting. <laughs> I though. think it's it's cool. It's exciting that that the end result that we know what's what it's for and what it could potentially end up doing and being, and I think that's what excites us. Yeah, it's the whole process. You know, once we. Once this whole thing is complete and once they actually figure out the whole process of launching these things, catching them, relaunching them, there's going to be sending people to filling in space. Yeah, They're going to be sending people to the moon, (laughs) you know, with this rocket and also eventually sending people and things to Mars with it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's exciting just to watch any part of it. And that was, you know, I, 
I, you know, when I went down to Texas to cover this for 10 months, it was basically because I was super excited about it. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, it wasn't a business move or anything like that. It was you more so. Yeah, exactly. I was still covering it, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I moved down there cause I was so excited about everything. And I like every day I'd wake up and cover this thing. And it, some days were just like torrential downpour, you know, but I'm like, what are they doing at Starbase? And I would go down and check it out. But it, like every day mm-hmm. it's exciting and it's still exciting, you know, just watching the cameras. So I think it's every- an incredible thing that we're able to, to watch it. Yeah, exactly. That it's, that's happening in, out in the open. It's, you know, they're, they're building rockets out in the air, which is outstanding to me. It, it always seemed when I was a kid, it would always seem like something that would happen in a climate controlled room with cycled air and everybody, you know, the old NASA pictures of and current NASA pictures of people wearing, you know, dust suits and, and decontamination suits and that sort of thing around these satellites that they send up there. That's, that's was always growing up my impression of what the industry was. Mm-hmm. And here we are, they're building it out in the open air, you know, with welds that you can clearly see and you know they get better at those every time they do it too but uh, it's just rather amazing to watch the iterations happen yeah and it's not even you know it's it's a brutal environment down there too so you see it you see it on youtube or you know wherever you see the footage and you don't realize how hot it is it's like 100 degrees every day fahrenheit and there's sand blasting everywhere because it's next to the beach there's you know there's just humidity which is ridiculous but they're doing this all out in the open for everybody to see. And it's it's a wonderful thing. And it gets people excited about space flight and excited about the future. So I'm I'm as excited as anybody else. You know, I, I watch all the videos and watch all the updates and also <laughs> produce videos yeah. and updates and make podcasts about it. Like we do it because we love it, you know. So I'm excited about the next phase, which is moving over to Florida, which with this thing, you know, they're, they're testing it in Texas now, but they're going to move over to Florida. Yeah. yeah. I think it's still up in the air, how they're going to get rockets over there. I think I saw somewhere there was a potential, what would you call it? Like a basket that would fit in the back of a truck to, to transport these boosters and rockets horizontally by road. So that's certainly one way they could also fly them over. If they get good enough, there's no reason you can't fly a booster or a rocket over to over to the Cape and land it down. I know that they're certainly getting ready over there that the towers built. And uh, I think that I think I saw yesterday that the, the chopsticks were on their way over to the tower. So they're going to be installed in the next week or two. So that's pretty exciting, too. Yeah, that's that's a huge so They're building huge a deal. secondary tower launch tower over there, the same as the one in, in Texas. Yeah. And now that once they had the, the Texas tower kind of flushed out and built and they know what to do, which is pretty cool that they use this as a test bed for just the tower. You know, most of these towers that are already built kind of use knowledge that somebody else had in the past, like somebody like NASA built a launch tower. So somebody 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, but now this is a whole new thing. You know, the, the, the chopsticks brand new. No one's done it before. So the- no one has ever caught a rocket before. That's for certain. <laughs> yeah. Especially a rocket that's like 400 <laughs> feet tall. Like that. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> you know, like the, the booster itself is what? 225 feet tall, somewhere around there. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And the, the ship is, you know, 150 ish feet tall. So it's about 400 feet tall and catching each one of these things separately. It, it doesn't make any sense. Like the, the booster, <laughs> not, not yet. No, like the boosters. <laughs> then again, landing, landing your boosters on a, on a, on a ship at sea didn't make sense either at one point. Yeah. The booster is like uh, an apartment building. It's 20 stories tall. You know, it's huge. Yep. Yep. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And I can't wait to see it happen. I can't. Yeah. I hope it. I hope it works. I mean, they're going to, they're going to have to test it in Florida or in the Texas. I don't think they'll let them test that in Florida. Not at all. No, that Florida one is a, a working tower. I think, Yeah, I don't think that that's a test tower. I haven't had a really good look because, because of the distances away from it, it's not quite the same as, as what's in Texas, but I don't know whether they've improved or changed anything on that tower that they're building in Florida. I'm not sure. Yeah. Most um, of the shots are from real far away. It's hard to see. Yeah. My guess, my guess is that there's improvements. There's it, it's an iteration, the same as any ship is. So, you know, booster nine that's been tested a couple times has, has a lot of improvements over booster seven already. 
without it being even launched yet. So my guess is that the tower would be the same thing. Yeah, they probably learned a lot of manufacturing and implementation of just mm-hmm. just the the wiring and the way that things work, the piping and things. Because I when you know as we were watching this thing be developed in Texas, there's iterations of even little things like a switch box, you know, where where a bunch of cables enter the box in one spot one week. And then I would notice that they're like, they're not there anymore. What happened to this whole box? Mm. And they would move the box off to the other side of the, of the orbital flight pad. And right. it's like, why did you do that? How did you do that? Like, what was wrong with the first one? Did you need more slack? Like what's going on, what's going on with that? So they're perfecting things in Texas. They'll move that to Florida for another, for other orbital flights and other missions, including the HLS mission to the moon eventually, but they will have to do some tests for the HLS before they actually send people there to make sure that the starship can fuel in orbit and also, you know, land on the moon. Because if it can't land on the moon, then what's the, like, they can't have the HLS contract, right? So for sure. Yeah, those. How many refuels is it? Is it seven refuels they have to do in space? Yeah, it's somewhere along that line. Something like that? Yeah. So, I mean, that test alone is going to be pretty crazy. Yeah. Just just getting that sh- the sheer number of ships up in the space, orbiting around in in situations where they're able to be sort of, you know, like a like a concrete truck delivering concrete to a job site. They they sort of line up. So you're next. Okay. You go in, you're empty. Now you leave. The next one comes in. Same thing in space. You're going to have these seven boosters lined or not boosters, seven refueling ships lined up and you're like, okay, next move it into place, hook it up and start loading fuel. Yeah. And they're, they're different ships too than something that'll send somebody to the moon. It's a whole different iteration of a ship. So they're going to have to have different types of ships. So they'll have the HLS ship, which is their main focus right now is just mm-hmm. make sure that people can get to the moon. So the the current build, which I'm guessing is just like, you know, they were building it anyway, then they got the HLS contract. They have to test all this stuff anyway. They don't really need heat shields on the HLS ship, but this is an iteration that will be used in the future for people going coming back and also sending cargo to orbit and coming back. Yeah. Yeah, the HLS landing ship will just be a tube. Yep. There won't be any heat shields, won't be any fins on it. No need to for fins when you can just, there's no no atmosphere to interact with on the moon. So they won't have that. Yeah. And that's going to be a, a wild, you know, a wild touchdown. The thing, like we were saying before, it's a huge ship. It's 125 mm-hmm. feet tall, 150 feet tall, somewhere around there. And a lot less gravity. A lot though. less gravity, but also it's huge. <laughs> The thing, yeah. the thing is, like, we just keep some coming yeah, back to it's, it. It's, it's just gigantic. I mean, the the Apollo lander was all it was like forty feet tall, I think, altogether thirty or forty feet tall, mm-hmm. somewhere around that range, thir- between thirty and forty. So that also was pretty huge. And yeah. you know the the pictures of that lander don't give do it any justice at all. The whole system there was just immensely complex, especially for the time fifty years ago. So having something that's triple that size land, triple plus that size land. Oh boy. Yeah. I can't wait. Uh, it's going to tip over. It's not going to make it. It's going to tip. It's not going to yeah. tip. I, I, think it'll be, I think it'll be fine. They, <clears throat> their propulsion team is absolutely amazing. So I, I believe they'll be able to. I think that the, the landing on the moon is actually fairly simple. I, I, if they can land, you know, ship 15, then they can land on the moon easily. Because just because of the gravity, there's so much less. Yeah, uh, there's a lot less problems they could probably have. They could probably, you know, boost themselves back into space if they absolutely had to and try again, kind of like a plane aborting a landing. But it's the landing pad that I've always had an issue with that here on the moon, as well as on Mars in the future. You need something to land on, you know, that's not going to gum up the engines. It's not going to be uneven. I think it was, was it Apollo 13, the, the Eagle? Who they they barely missed some cracks I think when they were landing in in and the moon that would have just torn them apart so really really dangerous up there it's not very not very flat it's not very square yeah it's not built for rockets there's there's no. lots of so debris. I think that they'll they may need to send some robots to build a landing pad or something or 
repair spot. I don't know. It'd be really interesting to see how that, that all works out. But I think that that's, that's a number of years away now. We've got a lot of things to worry about before that. Yeah. For instance, they got to launch this thing. They got to launch it. Yeah. So after they do the 33 engine static fires and after it's been wet dress rehearsed, all of those systems have been checked out and everything's good. They're going to launch this thing. And that is another huge thing. There's so many moving parts to that. So many things. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, so it's a, I'll do a quick run through of what they're going to be doing with the starship when they launch, like what the test is for, you know, the they're this is a test flight. Like we said this before, this is a test flight. Anything can happen, but the, the ship and the booster will launch from Starbase, Texas, the ship eventually we'll make it to Kauai. It's about 62 miles northwest of Kauai and it's in a place where they're done. Yep. It's done. (laughs) So that's, that's, that's the end. Right. But in between them, there's a ton of things that they need to do. It's going to be about a 90 minute trip for the ship and they're going to be possibly transporting some sort of cargo in this one, but we're not sure what it is because they, they may have to do some sort of test of cargo, but we don't know if anything's in the actual, that anything's actually in the ship. Yeah, I think that sort of as with any test, there's, they always put something in there just to simulate having some cargo, but it won't be. It's the least important part of the entire mission. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be, you know, the booster will fly the ship up and about 170 seconds into it, they'll separate. The booster is going to come down into the Gulf of Mexico and the ship's going to keep going. So it's going to go all the way to Kauai. And that's like the most basic that you'll ever hear anybody ever explain this. But let's go. You want to go into some detail about this? Because this For is sure. A, yeah. This is an, I mean, there's, this, there's so much, there's so much to talk about every part of this. Yeah. I mean, the, the most dangerous part and probably the most complex part is the launch. Yep. You've got a, a booster with 33 engines firing. It's got to clear a tower that's never had a launch from it before. The tower itself has to operate the way it's supposed to. All the quick release mechanisms for fuel and, and electricity and all the rest have to separate on time and the way they're supposed to and clearly the, the launch pad the arms have to be out of the way and not get in the way the chopsticks i mean there's so much that could happen even just at the launch that it's it i, I would say if they get past that they have a sort of probably a, an 80 percent chance of succeeding at the rest i would think i would think that uh, most of the, the problems they're going to have are happening at right there at the launch yeah that's the most important part you could have you could have raptors that don't fire you could have you know any vibrations that could cause a problem with the connection to the to the ship they could damage the tower they could they could rapidly unexpectedly dismantle they could red and, and just blow up everything that they've been working on for the last two years mm-hmm. so i mean it's a really dangerous spot but on the other hand they've done this many times right they've launched so many falcons my goodness i was gonna say raptors They've launched so many Falcon 9s from Florida, like several a, a month, sometimes several a week, that they've got a lot of experience doing this. And I think that they're going to use every ounce of that experience in getting this thing off the launch pad as safely as possible. Um, and all the tests that we've been talking about are all going towards making sure that that happens, happens the way it's supposed to. Yeah, and if anything happens during the, the initial phase of launch and the you know, they have a rud on the launch pad. Like you said, it could set them back months, possibly a year. I mean, they, they might have to rebuild everything. They may need to rebuild the tower. The whole thing. Absolutely. And, and if, and if it, if it goes further than the tower and they get to the, the storage tanks, that could be huge. Yeah. Right. So I think that everything they're doing is to prevent that right now. Yeah. So I agree. They need to, they need to make sure that that doesn't happen so, as much as they can anyway. So once they've launched, let's say they clear the, and keep in mind that the ship itself has a, a way to self-destruct at any point mm-hmm. along here. And it will probably, I would assume most likely be automated so that if it sees anything wrong that might endanger people, the mission, anything, it will, uh, it will destruct itself. And you'll see something that similar to the ship 11 that had, had an explosion above the ground, little pieces everywhere. So, and that's just to keep people safe. That's, that's the whole reason behind it. And if that happens, it's it's success for them. Mm-hmm. If they happen to have a problem and the ship takes care of itself, that's a good thing for SpaceX. If that situation doesn't happen and this thing 
you know, veers off in a direction it's not supposed to and lands on land somewhere, that's the worst case scenario for everybody. Yeah, exactly. But so the great thing about if I wouldn't, shouldn't say great thing, but a positive to the, you know, something like that happening is that they already have another ship almost ready to go, you know, better ship, yeah, better ship. And there's going to be better ships down the line and they're continuing to build ships. So So the the number one goal, number one goal is clear that launch tower. Once they get past that, the rest of it is, is gravy. Anything that happens to the ship and anything that, that doesn't work the way it's supposed to at that point. Well, that's just another ship. That's just another booster, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is, is what is it? 33 million or a million dollars per Raptor. So 33 million for the booster and another 9 million for the the ship. That's nothing. (laughs) It it sounds, it's a lot. Excuse me. It's a lot, but it's nothing. SpaceX, they're, they're prepared for that and they expect that. Yep. But damaging the launch site is the absolute worst thing that can happen. Yeah. Because the time it would take them to repair is, is something they, is time that they can't afford. Yep. So, yep. They're on a, a uh, but anyway, so, so if they're setbacks, suggest that's bad. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And who knows how long my guess is that they're expecting some damage to the launch pad. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can launch a ship and they've seen damage every time they've static fired. So they're expecting to repair, but a rebuild is a completely different thing. Yeah. That'll, that'll take a while. The rebuild will take a a little while, take a little resources, you know, take some, I, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's a money thing either when they rebuild because they have a lot of investment. They have a lot of private investment and a lot like millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. So it's not a big deal for them to, you know, just shell out another whatever, 50 mil, 60 million, whatever to fix the tower. But like you said, the, the time, no big deal. if you have to, if you have to spend six months fixing everything or six months, you know, refurbishing something that needs to get, you know, fixed up, it, it just takes, it takes too much time. Time equals money and they don't have, and they have a, a very pretty good schedule set up for their main mission, which is HLS, but also the Starlink missions too, because they need to make money through that. So anything that sets that back, not good, not good at all. For sure. But once they launch and once they, like, if they clear the tower, that's going to be incredible because then they're going to head towards max Q and max Q is the point of the flight where it has the most stress on the rocket. And that's like, what's it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's a balance between the thickness of the atmosphere and the speed they're going. Yeah. So at some point, you know, they're going really fast, but the atmosphere is getting a little thinner each second. So at some point there's a maximum pressure on the ship. Yeah. And at that point, kind of anything can happen (laughs) because it's, it's the maximum pressure, you know, it's never gone through max Q tests before. This will be the first max Q test of this rocket. And, you know, are the, are the points between the ship and the booster hard enough that it won't separate because of this? And that's a huge deal. You know, I, I think about the welds Mm -hmm. because you, you've got, you know, a lot of air blowing around the ship at that point and under pressure and every weld it's sort of a catch point for the air. You've got the, the heat shielding tiles, exact same thing there. Every, every one of those tiles is a, is a point where that air can grab and who knows, they haven't launched this thing yet. So we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it'll just be fine. Let's hope it is. And it's a big rocket, you know, and it's huge. It's a two stage, huge rocket and the stages are different than say the Apollo, the Apollo you know, the, the capsule was on the very, very top, right? And the, there was a, a stage in the middle of Starship, basically, that wasn't there for Apollo or any other rocket mm-hmm. that's that big, you know, that powerful. So it's a, it's a breaking point, but the welds on the outside, they're not perfect. You know, they're pretty good. <laughs> but like you said, any yeah. sort of aerodynamic drag on this thing could wreak havoc on the whole flight. So, I mean, it, it'll, it'll, more than likely have enough power to kind of push through all of that, but we'll see. Oh yeah. No, the power's there. It's, it's whether the, it's whether that drag from the, the the atmosphere causes any issues, right? Heats it up too Um, much and rips it apart, heats it up too much, or it just starts vibrating or, you know, you get sort of a resonance happening, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that can cause the ship to go off course. There's all kinds of things that could happen. 
Yeah. So that's why MaxQ is a big deal. That's why it's it's called out every time. Once you're past that, it gets a lot easier on the ship. At that point, you're you're sort of reaching space, outer space, outer space. We still call it outer space, <laughs> reaching space, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 things are a lot easier on the ship. Yeah. And of course, which leads us to separation stuff. So stuff has to happen there as well to to make sure that we can continue our journey. You know, the booster has to shut down all its engines. They they coast for a little bit, and then the the ship separates from it. And there's a lot of things can go wrong there too. You've got engines that could uh, that could malfunction or not not turn off right away. You've got uh, the actual separation of the ships could cause a problem. I think it was was it the original Falcon one mission, the first mission or the second mission, maybe that they got right to separation stage. They were on their way to orbit and they started the engines too soon after separation and uh, they actually hit each other. Eh, I don't, um, I don't remember that one. <laughs> and that's, that's what caused oh, the failure of the Falcon one oh, yeah. was that the, the two ships hit each other because they didn't allow enough time between the engines turning off and the new engines turning on. Oh, wow. The second stage turning on. So that's interesting. Yeah. So that's something that they learned. They learned yeah. their lesson on, so that's good. Yeah, and that was you know, decade ago plus. So yeah, you know they have all that time to to fix that. You know, in the Falcon Nine, of course, obviously that's been fixed. Obviously they fixed it. Yeah, they they mm-hmm. kind of know what's going on with separations, but you never know. Like you said, engine could go bad. Things can happen. Things can happen. A clamp could just not could not unclamp. You know, the only time they've separated this is sitting on the launch pad. Yep, they've never separated it in space moving whatever yeah so there's i mean it's i don't think that that's maybe the the biggest problem they're going to have but it, it is something they certainly have to keep track of yeah and keep their eyes on you know they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to land this thing too right so after they separate yeah that's the next stage so we got now we got two vehicles in space yep. right so you've got the booster which is just turned off with all its engine is starting to sort of reach its apogee and then you've got the ship that moves on its way so we're, we'll separate for now and we'll come back to the booster. So it's got to come much like the Falcon 9 booster does. It's got to sort of reach its highest point and then start falling back down to Earth. Eventually, the booster will sort of turn over and do a boost back burn to get back to the launch site. That's the future where it'll be caught by the tower somehow. Right. But for now, this booster is going to just fall into the ocean, into the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so what are we expecting to see there? Everything to go perfectly well. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. Everything's awesome. going to be completely fine. Um, so. Like, we don't know what they're going to try and do to that booster. Is right. it just going to fall into the ocean and that's the end of it? Or are they actually going to try and simulate a landing? I think they're going to try to simulate a landing because I would think so. I don't know why you wouldn't. Right. Try. There'd be no reason to skip that phase because. Yeah. So when a, when a Falcon 9 booster is landing, it land, it launch, it, <laughs> it relights one of its engines to slow the booster down and then to land it mm-hmm. onto the, the, the ship. So. My guess is that they're going to, you know, light anywhere from three to five engines and uh, try to land this thing on the ocean, theoretically, or at least probably get it to a point where it's hovering, you know, 50 feet in the air where the chopsticks might be grab it in the future. Yeah. And uh, what a, what a, and then sight. just sort of slowly uh, fall into the water after that. Yeah. If they can hover this thing over the water, over the Gulf, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to flip sure. out. We're going to have to have a watch party in Discord oh. or something so everybody can watch it's this. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. So maybe maybe we could plug. I mean, it's my favorite part. Yeah. It's my favorite part of any Falcon launch. Yeah. It's, it's uh, so cool. It's, it's that landing. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's mind blowing. It's it's the future. And. It's happening now. Yeah. And it's going to be like, it'll be the first time that they hovered a booster. Right. Yep. So this will be yep. a, a first of the hover. And also a first of like a fully functional booster landing, like actually landing because boosters don't have legs. So there's no way for them to land and there's no landing gear mm-hmm. on them. So this is the only way they can land other than the tower. So other than the chopsticks catching them and putting them back on the tower. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to flip out. I'm going to flip out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, to me, this is the most realistic part of this entire thing working yep this is they've done this they've done this hundreds of times now with the with the falcon 9 so i i just see that this this part of it working i don't see any reason why it wouldn't apart from those engines not restarting it's the only that's the only question mark in my mind is that they have to to start the engines to get into the atmosphere to slow down a little bit 
and then they have to do it to stop the to stop the booster from hitting the water really fast. Mm-hmm. So that's the only part of it that's uh, that's a question mark in my mind is those engines making sure that those those Raptors start up again. But anything beyond that, I think they got this no problem. Yeah, I think so too. I think they're gonna they're gonna put on a good show regardless of, of <laughs> what happens after max Q and separation. I think that the booster landing is going to be wild, but then they have to go higher. The second engines start up for the, for the ship while all of this is happening. There's two things happening at once. So the booster is yep. coming down, like falling back to earth. Then the ship keeps going up. The ship 24 keeps going up. They start their engines again and then different in the, the, the vacuum yeah. engines this time. Yeah. The Raptor vacuum this time. It's the first time. Yeah. So there's three vacuum engines and three regular engines. Yep. So they'll launch the, they'll light the three vacuum Raptors, which have a, just a much larger bell on them to, to help with air pressure or pressure. And uh, yeah, so that, that those engines are going to have to get this thing up to, and I think that they're going to try and reach orbital velocities. I think that they're going to try and get to the point where if they just turn the engines off, it would orbit. Mm-hmm. They're not going to, they're not going to go one full orbit around the earth, but I think that they're going to try and get to the get to that point they've got an hour and a half up there why not <laughs> yeah they may as well test all the do? systems you know even though mm, they have to be sure. as cautious as possible especially if they decide to launch some uh launch some starlink satellites while they're at it they'll need to get up to orbit velocities yeah yeah and the next couple of flights are going to have to do that i think they're going to yeah. they're going to do more testing more flights with this thing and then eventually something will go into orbit whether it's a sure. it'll probably be a starlink like you said more than likely <laughs> but yeah they they'll get it up to orbit and they'll you know eventually have a really great opportunity here to come back down <laughs> once they're in orbit you know they're gonna have to deorbit they're gonna have to come back down to earth and yep. once they you know once they reach their orbital velocity this is gonna be a wild ride right and again yeah i think that they they understand this part they know how to get things into orbit if they've, they've done it hundreds of times. And the only question mark here again is those engines that haven't, nobody's, nobody has turned on a vacuum Raptor in space yet. So that's the big question mark. Yeah. Will it reignite? Yep. Will the fuel be in the right place for it to reignite? Will everything not slosh around? You know, will the, will the pumps work properly? Will everything, all the, the pipes inside of this thing? Cause this is a very complex, not just the engine, but the, all the inner workings of this rocket. Yeah. Yeah, keep in mind. As soon as separation happens with the booster, they're at zero G's. Mm-hmm. There's there's no gravity up there until they launch those or light the vacuum wrappers. Yep. So they're going to have to make sure that they, there's fuel where it needs to be. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and then they'll come back down. They'll re-enter, come back down towards Earth. Yeah, they'll have to slow the ship down. They'll probably turn it around and turn the engines on, and then just to slow down the the craft so it starts to fall. It loses its orbit. I mean, they're always falling up in space. That's what orbits are, but they just haven't be falling at the same speed that they're moving. So they don't actually hit the ground, like falling around the earth. So to deorbit, you slow down the vehicle and it starts to lose its speed relative to the earth and starts to re-enter. And that's another, <laughs> that's another stickler point for the starship is, is what's going to happen at re-entry. They've never done anything this high before. They never re-entered or had a ship at this height. They've had, you know, belly flops at Texas, but never in space. So this thing's going to be whipping back. We're not exactly sure what speeds it'll have, but it'll more than likely, you know, the belly flop maneuver will be used again to get this thing back down for sure for, you know, for a safe landing off the coast of Kauai. So it's going to be a soft ocean landing, apparently, according to SpaceX. Soft. (laughs) (laughs) We've we've forgotten a part here. We've got to go back to reentry. Yeah, yeah. This thing's got to come through the atmosphere. That's scary. And it's very scary. It heats up quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly past the melting point of the stainless steel this thing's made out of. So they've got heat shield tiles on one half of the ship, a little bit more than, more than one half. And those tiles are going to have to absorb all that heat from reentry and all the forces that happen during reentry. I'm not sure how they're going to, how they're going to do the reentry. Maybe they try and slow the ship down even more using the, the, the engines before they, they flip over and, and sort of plane down, but we'll have to see what they do. Yeah. I'd- but that's a, that's an extremely dangerous part because they've had these tiles fall off almost, almost every, I think maybe all static fires they've had, they've had uh, tiles fall off. So uh, it's still an ongoing work in progress. 
And if they launch, what if they lose a few tiles during the launch too? That's why the static fire of 33 engines with the ship on top of it is an important part of this flight test, because if they do lose a few of those tiles during the launch, that allows the, the heat to just go right past it, right through the steel and melt this sucker down. So depend, I mean, depending of course on how many tiles they lose, if they lose one tile, I think they'll be all right. They might damage it. They do have a blanket behind it. A blanket, which yep. can help. Yep, a little blanket. But but those tiles are, are the most important part. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's a different thing static firing the ship versus versus the booster. Yep. It, you know, the ship isn't quite as close to the engines as as the as when it's doing its own static fire. So perhaps they'll be fine on us on a launch. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to see. But uh, but we'll know that we'll know that as soon as they as soon as they've launched we'll know what's happening with the tiles they'll have so many so many cameras on that just to check all that stuff and they'll have probably have external cameras on the ship and that sort of thing just to check as much as they can what's happening with those tiles yeah and they they're but again we said it this is a test vehicle yeah it definitely is a test vehicle and these tiles they're produced by some of the people that have you know worked on the space shuttle tiles and worked on mm-hmm. the same sort of dynamics for these sort of reentries for decades. So very, I mean, the production of these tiles, absolutely incredible, but keeping them on the vehicle is, I think it's impossible. I don't know if they'll ever figure it out. It seems like it's impossible. They, I think they will figure it out, but it's, it's, they've got def- to figure it out. They yeah. want to, they want to refly these things in within a couple hours, right? Yeah. And not lose any eventually. Tiles. Yeah. yeah, and not lose any. Not one. This is the first zero minutes. Yeah, this is the first test. So, I'm expecting a few tiles to not be there when they land this thing. Yeah, when they do reentry. Yeah, mean. when they do reentry. <laughs> yeah, when they do reentry. And who knows whether if, whether it makes it through yeah. reentry or not yeah. is is a secondary question. Yeah, and the pieces will land. <laughs> the pieces. Yeah, if it does make it through, if it doesn't make it everything through, lands eventually. Yeah, right? everything will come down. Yeah. back down to earth. But if they can make it through reentry. Oh man, do you think, so I'm, I'm thinking they'll do a, like you said, I, I, I think they're going to use some sort of boost back burn like they do with the boosters of the Falcon mm-hmm. 9. I think they're going to do something like that where they slow it down and then they, they use the heat tiles to, you know, to, to, to protect the, the ship on the way down. Then they'll have to do the, yeah, I mean, the belly The flop. booster is going a lot slower than an orbital rocket. Oh yeah. Uh, so I don't know that a boost back to safely deorbit is, is ever going to be possible. They'd have to have too much fuel, but uh, certainly slowing it down as much as possible before it flips over yeah. for the re-entry is, you know, they'll use every, every ounce of fuel they possibly can that they don't need for landing. Yeah. They I use think. every trick in the book to get this thing back. Yeah. And it's going to be, it's going to be a cool thing. And I, like you said, the, if they do a hover of the booster over the Gulf of Mexico, mm-hmm. I think they're going to do that with the ship too. When they land, if they make it through the I atmosphere. would hope so. I mean, if you've gone that far, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Come down, do the, do the, the flip over and, and try and sort of hover that land this thing again. It might be 200 feet in the air that they do it. If they're sort of thinking about, you know, where, where it might, it might be in relation to the, the, the catch catching chopsticks on the launch mount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then perhaps it, you know, the engines go cold at that point and it falls into the water. But yeah, it's going to be something to watch again. Yeah, the 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 landing is going to be cool. It's going to be really crazy. They're going to be landing in like a naval shipyard. It's like an old, well, a, a naval graveyard, so to speak, right. off the coast of Kauai. And it's been used for decades by, by the Navy and the Department of Defense to sink like submarines and warships. And we don't, I don't think they're going to retrieve this ship. I think they're just going to let it sink because that might take too much. They're going to get as much data as they can from it. Well, I mean, if it, think about what it is, right? It's going to be a big hollow, empty shell. Yeah. So it's going to float. Yeah. Right. It's going to be a, it's going to be a boat for a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. And maybe, who knows? Maybe uh, the Navy will, what they do is they launch, yeah, they launch artillery at these boats and they sink them. So how cool would it be if they did <laughs> that's that? possible. Maybe they, maybe they, <laughs> Yeah, that would be crazy. Maybe they use the automatic destruction. Yeah, yeah. At that point, and just blow it up. Yeah, and ev- Who knows? yeah. Eventually, I think it'll. But I mean, I think eventually. For me, I would love to get my hands on those Raptor engines and and re- and review them and take a look at them and and 
examine what, yeah. what happened and you know what shape they're in. There's a lot to be said for saving this thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then of course, put it up in a in a in a rocket graveyard somewhere so that everybody can stare in awe of the ship. Yeah, bring it back down to that Brownsville. Did almost the impossible. Yep. Bring it back down to Brownsville. Ship it back to Boca Chica Beach. Uh, the Brown, the port of Brownsville. There's a road. We turn it into a kids' play instrument. <laughs> right. So, I don't. I don't think that's good. Stainless steel is probably not the best thing for kids to play on in the middle of the sun in Texas. But yeah, they they built a road from the Highway Four, which is the road that leads down to Starbase. There's a road that goes from Highway Four over to the bay, so they can transport ships and boosters on that road. It's mm-hmm. a huge road. It's super wide. It's like a, I don't know, six lanes wide or something. I believe it's a big wide road. I don't think it's six lanes, but it's pretty big. And I, I believe you can use that road to get over to the port and bring the ship back. So they just have to put it on a boat, you know, bring it back, get whatever they can out of it and take a look at those yep. Raptors or maybe even just, I, I mean, I don't know how this would be almost impossible to do, I think, but remove the Raptors in the ocean, which would be incredibly difficult. And then yes, let, let this, let the ship sink, but get the Raptors back. But yeah, I, I mean, if we get to that point where we're discussing what to do with Raptors that have been flown on an engine and, and landed properly, who cares at that point? Yep. We're, we're so far beyond our mission goals here that we're happy as, as pigs in a blanket. Yeah, exactly. If that's a saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, that's, that's the ultimate goal right there. If we can get a, a rocket that lands itself in the ocean, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, what is, there's going to be cheering for days. If, if this thing survives this whole, it'll be the most exciting time in space flight since Apollo. I think, I, I think that's, I, and then after this, I think it's going goosebumps. Yeah. Getting goosebumps. Everybody, yeah. everybody will get goosebumps. The whole world <laughs> will get goosebumps. <laughs> It'll be a weird phenomenon that happens once. Yeah. But then after this, the Artemis 2 mission where people fly around the moon, that's going to be a huge deal too. Huge. And then Artemis 3, when they launch a starship for that mission and they send people back to the moon, this is all the beginning. Like without this flight, there's none of that. There's none of the Artemis 3 mission. So this is literally one of the most important space flights of all time. You might not be wrong there for sure. It's it's huge for the future of spaceflight for all humanity. Yeah, it's massive. It's yeah, the the ship is massive. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> and that's that's why it's such a big deal too. It's because the ship is massive, the biggest fairing that's ever flown to space. Well, we're talking, but we're talking a hundred percent reusability. Right. That's a huge that's, deal too. That's massive. Yeah. It's it it's something that nobody else is even attempting. At this point, so if if that happens, it reduces the cost of space by a hundredfold, mm-hmm. and that's massive as well. Yeah, that's a whole new economy. Yeah. You know, and the economics of space flight right now are kind of in a. I think they're in a tipping point where SpaceX is taking over space flight, and the old guard is kind of finally thinking about reusability because of a hundred space flights last year or they want to do a hundred flights this year and last year it was 60 some odd i can't remember the exact number but i think it was 60 something i don't know the numbers but this year they're aiming for a hundred flights so yep. if you can get a hundred flights from one company twice a week twice a week possibly three times a week depending on what the what the launch cadence is and mm-hmm. you have rockets at kennedy space center and you're flying falcon nines and falcon heavies and starships yeah, this is sort of a, it's a tipping point because the Falcon 9 is almost reusable. The fairings aren't reusable and a few other things aren't reusable, but the the Starship, the everything. stage, yeah. Yeah, the Starship is 100% reusable. So the cost of flight is going to go down drastically. And the cargo that you can put in that thing, you can just drive your bus into it. A school bus. Several, several yeah, buses. Not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It, it's going to be amazing to see and, and hear <laughs> and, yeah. and exciting for if this thing works, if this launch works and, and goes according to plan, it will speed up 
research and production in Flo- in Texas and Florida tenfold. Like it's they're just going to ramp up everything, mm-hmm. and we're going to see you know several more launches this year once that happens to try and prove itself. If they have any issues with it, well, that's going to set them back a little bit. Yeah, but they'll still keep. But they're not going to stop forward, right? They have, yeah, they're not going to stop. They're going to keep pushing. Yeah, and they have, like we were talking about earlier, they have the NASA money. They have billions of dollars from NASA to create the Starship, and mm-hmm. you know the the HLS program. I think it was two, almost three billion for that from NASA. It's like two point eight yeah. nine billion or something, and they have the money, so they got to keep moving forward. And the FAA will, they know it's a a test vehicle, so they'll understand. And from the start, part of the part of the reason for Starlink was to pay for this research yep. into new vehicles. They have a, was it a hundred? No. How many customers, a million customers or something? Yeah. Now for oh, Starlink, yeah, over a that's a hundred million dollars a month. Yeah. Obviously there's, there's costs involved in running Starlink and, and launching things and that sort of thing, but a hundred million dollars every month coming in from, there's gotta be some profits that they're feeding over to this system. Yeah. And I believe there was an IPO scheduled, you know, I think it was, I think it was reported last year, end of last year, that Starlink could IPO in like 2025 ish. Mm-hmm. So that's going to infuse so much more money into SpaceX. So much cash. Yeah. You've got a, you've got a system that clearly works. Yep. <laughs> and it's been running for a couple of years and suddenly you're going to make it public. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is a very successful launch. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I believe, yeah, that a lot of that money is going to go towards Starship development because they need a Starship to launch all these Starlink satellites. So, and as yeah. soon as they can start launching Starlink satellites, they go from launching, you know, only a few to hundreds at a time. Yeah. Uh, and that is going to just speed up everything. And it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the crazy thing is I think that a Starlink launch on a on a starship is going to be cheaper than launching it on the, the Falcon 9 for more Starlink satellites. Yeah, I believe that's true. I believe that's true. What is it? A million like a really launch? Talking, it's, it's, well, you're talking fuel. Yeah, it's just fuel at that point. Yeah. Because it's, you know, there's other things too, obviously, but it's just fuel. Yeah. There's people, of course, they need paychecks, yeah. but, you know, ground crews, ground systems, things like that. But the development, once it's done, once the developments, of course, like iterate and make it a little bit better here and there, but you know, the rockets there, the whole systems are there. Ground systems are there. Everything's ready to go and you can launch Starlinks whenever you need to. Yeah. And SpaceX does not mind risking Starlinks. You know, they'll put that on a test vehicle. No problem. Yeah. That's why I think you'll probably see some on this first vehicle just to, just to test it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, see if they can, although I think that the, haven't they, they, I think they've actually welded the launch area shut on this vehicle. So yeah, the, um, the Pez dispenser. This one. Well, there might be the one Pez inside dispenser. too. That's the other thing. Like that could mm-hmm. be the payload because they're going to need a payload in there to test that. So that was another theory going around for a while is that we never see the inside of a starship. So we don't really know what's inside, but they could before they launch this thing. And they could have already had a picture from inside, or they could take a picture from inside the, the ship and go, hey, look what's inside. We got a Starlink. And that hypes up Starlink, of course. Right. And, you know, it, it proves that, that the payload is, that they can ship a payload. So in that, of course, brings in more investment, brings in more people, brings in the best of the best to work for the company. And that's what SpaceX wants. They want to keep the hype train rolling, too. So they're really good at that, like launching Elon's car into space. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, big publicity stunt, but it works. Yeah, exactly. So it's the only advertising they do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Their YouTube channel is the best advertising for SpaceX. So I think we covered everything with the Starship flight today. I am I'm excited. I'm excited for this. Yeah, it's gonna I be think that that's next obvious next we can, couple months. We have a lot to look forward to. Yeah, there's a lot of work to do, but also a lot to not on our behalf no we're not going to work that hard i'm going to be excited i'm just going to be <laughs> super pumped the whole time i'm going to talk about it and like for me this is just this like the passion that we both have for this and the the excitement we have for space flight like i never record anything and don't get excited and happy to talk about it because it's just something that's great like i love every second of this 
it is work, mind you. It does take effort, but it's the best kind of thing you could ever do. So, mm-hmm. so I do a little bit of work. <laughs> Space, yeah. Space, oh, okay. SpaceX does a lot more, but <laughs> I just talk about it. So, yeah. Thanks for thanks for joining me today, Neil. I guess we're gonna. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Fun. And thanks to everybody out there who's supported the show throughout the whole time we've been doing this. If you're a supporter and you want to support us even more, please take a second and hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're on right now. That'll help us out tremendously. So, so much. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do the five-star review thing. If you like this kind of uh, this kind of episode where we get into depth, we go in depth about SpaceX, Starship, and spaceflight because we love, we love this stuff. We're passionate about it, and we know you do too. So, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts would be amazing. I guess that's it for today. Yeah, thanks. All right. Thank you. Yeah, see you guys later.